Well, good morning, church family. It is great to have you here today. It's been a great morning so far, and I, I got to tell you, I'm excited to be here. The last couple of weeks, uh, Pastor Tyson has been on the stage, and he has been delivering really a lot of the meat and the potatoes of our series that we're in called Risky. And so, Pastor Tyson, come and join me for a quick moment here. I just, uh, I do think that this is very important. He has been delivering so well, and so I want you to just throw in some more comments into the chat. But I got to tell you, I've loved these last few weeks. They've challenged me personally. And because you have challenged me in my spiritual journey, I need you to help me with an illustration to start my morning. Okay. So I, I don't know about you, Pastor Tyson. Now, you, you've just had both. Now, and, and you and Lindsay have had both. It just wasn't a solo effort by you, probably. Okay. More Lindsay than, okay. So, but this is one thing that I know about kids today. They've got all of these toys around them to play with. I mean, kids are going to grow up with trampoline. They're going to grow up in a digital age. Like, it's unbelievable the things that they have. But I'm telling you, folks, that I think kids today are ripped off from the things that we had or that I had when I was a kid, because there was this epic game that we used to play back in the day, and it was called Pin the Tail on the Donkey. Have you ever played this game before? Now, I need you to do something for me. I'd like you to blindfold your eyes and tie that up around the back of your head here, because I I want us to see this game of Pin the Tail on the Donkey, because it's all about a game of orientation. I mean, what happens is, and and we're not going to pin the tail on anybody. You look great, by the way. Look at the camera. Okay, you're doing well. But this, this idea of pin the tail on the donkey meant that you were placed a, a tail in your hand and there was a picture. Now, I have none of those things because I, I simply want to just illustrate and show you the fun of the game. So what would happen with the participant is you would spin them around a number of times and then they would have to go and place the tail on the donkey. Now, we're going to do that a little bit, Pastor Tyson. Are you okay with this? Nod your head in whatever approval. Okay, I saw the no first, which means, yes, it's opposite day at church today. So I'm going to spin you around, and then you are going to slowly make your way towards the drum shield. So you're going to pin, and I promise I won't let you walk off the stage. Maybe. All right, this is a trust element. Okay, so I'm going to spin you around. Ready? Here we go. Go as fast as you can, a little bit faster, and I'm going to set you on a course, and I'm going to get you ready and stop right there. Okay, so I would like you to, now, before you go, what happens in Pin the Tail of the Donkey is you orient yourself because you're blind and you can't see, you want to make sure, so go ahead, I want you to start walking towards the drum shield. Go slow as you can, just do it, you're not moving, the name, okay, so take a step, but only go at the sound of my voice, okay, stop, stop, I don't want you to fall off the stage and you could be close to it. Okay, no, you can go a little bit further, and I want you to listen to my voice, I want you to turn to the right just a little bit, okay, and I want you to take about two feet forward, and I want you to see, stop! I mean, you, oh my goodness, you are so close, okay? I want you to turn to your left about 30 degrees, and I want you to take two more steps now, and you're just about there, one, and two, stop! You need to totally stop. Yeah, I think, okay, I think you can pull off one more, one more step, so go ahead. Take one more step, and stop a little bit more, maybe three inches. Don't go any further, because it could hurt you. And you suddenly see. Now, I want you, Pastor Tyson, to take off your blindfold and see where you're standing by the drum shield. <laughs> right. Every, you know, it was close. Everybody give Pastor Tyson a hand. He's a good, he's a good character. I want to take this for you for a second. I, I want us to see this one thing about this idea is that this game of pin the tail on the donkey is all about orientation. And if Pastor Tyson is not listening to my voice, You could have fallen off the stage just moments ago. Probably would have hurt. You probably would have beat me up tomorrow or whenever you recovered yourself. 
But this idea is that you are being led somewhere. Now, if you can't see it, you're just feeling yourself around, there's those moments. But when you hear someone's voice and you know where to go, it makes a ton of difference. I actually think that this illustration is a lot like our Christian lives. Don't you think about that? Like, how many times have you been disoriented in trying to follow Jesus? How many times have you felt like you've been blindfolded and yet he's saying, I want you to come this way or I want you to go that way? And the, the idea behind this is that it is all about how are you and I going to be led? Now, our character, his name is David. And I actually think, I have this theory about David is that he actually is the originator of the game Pin the Tail on the Donkey. Except I don't think he played around with a lot of donkeys back in the day. It was sheep. And so I think David was on to something. But with that said, let's take a look at our text one more time because today is the conclusion of this series. And this is what it says out of Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me. Somebody say lead me. Lead me along the path of everlasting life. Will you pray with me as we've read the word of the Lord together today? Jesus, I thank you for who you are and what you've been already communicating to us already today in music, in the communion table, and now in your word. And I pray that you will help us to lean into these words, lead me. And I know that this is hard because these last few weeks we've been talking about the things in our life that aren't the greatest, things in our lives that fall short. And yet here is the action step today. Here is the application. And I pray that you will open our eyes to see our own lives, the things that you have for us, and that we would take the step towards you. We would know what you're about to say and do in our lives. So Jesus, anoint the words, anoint this time, and bring life change to us, I pray. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Today I'd like to speak to us this, from the subject, pin the tail on the sheep, not the donkey. Now, Psalm 139 is a very popular chapter in the Bible. And for some odd reason, it shows us that David lands on this idea of saying to God at the end, I, I need you to lead me. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever met somebody in your life who can emotionally flip just like this? I mean, just in a second, they can go from zero to 10. I mean, one of the things that we love doing here in our, in our staff office is in some of our lunch times, but once a month, we subscribe to these guys called Dude Perfect. And we love watching Dude Perfect. We have tons of, la like it's just a good time. But in some of the sketches that they do within Dude Perfect, we've got this one guy and, and, and all of a sudden he's a normal straight laced guy and he flips on a dime and he becomes what is known in their sketches as the rage monster. And he goes ballistic. I mean, they are using things that are about to be destroyed 
destroyed or to be renovated, but it comes off as they are destroying just every, this one guy. And he goes ballistic. We've seen him rip down pools. We've seen him in a living room smash everything to kingdom come. And it is hilarious. We sit in our staff room and there's one person in particular, I won't name her, but her, Susan, oh, sorry, I wasn't supposed to do that. But Susan, she hates the rage monster. The rest of us are just laughing our heads off at the rage monster because he flips on a dime, zero to 100, and he just has fun. We also know this about people in or around us too, like babies. Let's talk about babies for a second. Have you ever met that cute and adorable baby before? We all have. And then just moments later, that very cute thing becomes like, you think they're spawn of the devil or something like that, which they're not, but we see that they could flip on a dime as well. You could have been driving. You could be knowing someone in your family and just instantly they are done and they completely flip the switch. And it's a lot like uh, King David in in this text that we're reading today. And I've been looking at King David and I'm thinking, as I read Psalm 139, there's so many neat things about him that are something for us to pay attention to. For instance, you you look at verses 7 to 12, and and he talks about how you can never escape the presence of God. That if you go to the west, as Pastor Josh said moments ago, he's gone far to the east, and Pastor James reeled him into the west, whereas whereas this is the promised land where we live right now, right? Everybody else, I'm sorry, but this is promised land, right? So, but we have these ideas. But David, in these few verses, he's talking about the omnipresence of God. What is that? He's talking about how God is just absolutely everywhere. It's unbelievable. And then in the next verses, 13 to 16, many of us have memorized these verses before, and they're amazing. But it really talks about, right here, the omnipotence of God. It's talking about how he's all-powerful. It's talking about how he knit me together in my mother's womb, and I'm so fearfully and wonderfully made, and it's, it's amazing. He talks about so many things. Even the verses that we've been talking about in verse 23 to 24, we have seen the, this, the attributes of God's holiness being poured out. But then there are these few verses, verses 19 to 22, and David completely flips a switch. And I'm trying to figure out how does David land on the prayer of lead me when he's spitting this stuff out of his mouth. So for instance, this is what he talks about. He uses these words in just a few simple verses. After talking about the greatness of who God is, he's like, let me go into my rage monster for a moment. This is what he says. He uses these words. I'd like you to destroy people. I hate those who hate you. Shouldn't I despise those who despise you? I hate them. And then he goes, I have total hatred for all of my enemies around me. I don't know what's going on with David, but he is about to contend for God. He wants to do whatever he can to contend for his creator. He's like, don't worry, God, I got you. When all these people are gonna throw mud at you, I got you, and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to see you through. Now, I gotta tell you, I have, I've had to grow up in my life having to eliminate the word hate from my vocabulary. I mean, it was a bad word. My, my parents did not want me communicating the word hatred at all. But you know something that I've noticed that as I've begun to grow up in this life, I've noticed this, that actually there is some, there is some hate that is good in my life. And most of it, though, is not good whatsoever. Now, I know some of us are trying to uh, figure out, okay, what angle, where is he going with this? Let me explain. In the Old Testament, the words that are used to describe the word hate are number one, sane, which means to hate, 
And then there is the word Satan. Not Satan, but Satan. And you'll notice how close they are linked. But it means to persecute. In fact, when you see the word Satan or Satan in the Old Testament, when it revolves around this word hate, you're going to notice a few things. These words represent an emotion ranging from intense hatred to set against a person or a thing. It can also denote a strong dislike, but without any intent to bring any harm. For some, it will show a strong sense of jealousy. In fact, the definition of hate is to dislike greatly, like I hate Brussels sprouts. I have a great aversion against it. Unfortunately for many of us, this goes way too far when we discuss the word hate and understand its context. The Bible talks about hate in so many different ways. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 22, it says that fools hate knowledge. In Luke chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus communicates, blessed are you when people hate you for my name. In fact, a verse that we have struggled with, and I think Pastor Tyson quite recently used this verse as well, but Luke 14 verses 26 where it says unless you hate your mother and father you cannot love me but in in that specific verse I want us to see that the biblical interpretation indicates that this can be loving to a lesser degree than God Jesus is not telling you to hate your parents what Jesus is saying to you and I is that you are to love him more than your parents But this idea of hate and where David goes off in these few short verses is very intriguing. But I think in our culture, we all understand this word hate. We have all executed it in some sort of fashion, whether we knew it or not. And it is around. And David has gone off here and decided to show us his hatred towards those who stand against God. I'm currently doing a deep dive on the topics of forgiveness and reconciliation. And uh, I'm being stretched in some of my things that I'm learning there. One resource that I have um, landed on in this last uh, number of weeks is the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report from 2015. It's a look back on our nation, Canada, It looks at what we've done to Aboriginal people, especially in the context of the residential schools. As I read the report, I'm going to tell you right now, I read it in absolute disgust. I hated actually what I was reading. I could not believe the atrocities that we have placed on a people. And this is my country. This is the country in which I live. And we have seen other social injustices happen around our world this last year. But as I have read this one specific about Canada itself, I hated it. And I know I made a comment a few moments ago that there are some hate in our lives that is good for us. And let me explain what I mean by that. Commentator Horn says this, a good man hates as God himself does. You know, he does not hate the person, but their sins. It's not what God made them but what they have made themselves. What I need us to see when it comes to this idea of hate is that it is important for you and I together to hate the sins that we see around our lives. 
But what Jesus did in establishing the new covenant that we have been talking about is that you are to even love your enemies, not even to hate them. So if your hate is ever directed at a person, I'm here to tell you, you are in the wrong and that is sin. And I know that that's a hard pill for some of us to swallow today. But our idea of hatred needs to be towards the things of sin and not the sinner. David Guzik, another biblical commentator, says this. David went against a spirit that is also evident in our day. It is against the idea that we can love God without hating evil. Let that sink in for a moment. We have a responsibility as God communicates in the Old Testament that there are things that he hates in our lives and it is the sin that you and I bring to the table. And what David is saying even that in our culture today, we need to hate the evil that is around us. But folks, please listen to me. Never pin that to a person because that person is still valuable. And guess what? The blood of Jesus Christ has covered that person as well. And he loves them too. And I know that this digs deep into the atrocities that have been brought against a person or a people group. But I need us to understand what David is showing us here is quite critical to getting to the prayer of lead me. So as David goes off in all rage monster mode, what he begins to show us is that as he sees them, he suddenly begins to see himself. You know this, how this works, right? When you point the finger at somebody else, what do people say to you? Look at how many fingers are pointing back at you. So I have learned to point this way now, right? So that there are no fingers coming back at me. But what David is doing as he is looking at they, he quickly understands that it is him. The very thing that he is opposed to is the very person he himself has become or will become perhaps in his future. I think about this as we have wrestled through this COVID season. We have been good to point the fingers and we have looked at others and I actually think that we have looked at others in hatred and we have pointed towards them without seeing that we have a part in this story as well. That you and I, we are not perfect all the time and that we have played a role in this piece as well. Now David, I mean he comes back and he now lands on this this risky prayer that we have been talking about. So instead of his rage monster moment, all of a sudden he comes back to, oh God, search me and know my heart. <laughs> I'm just thinking like, what in the world is this guy doing? He's up, he's down, he's everywhere. But it's here where he comes back to this prayer. And it's there where he asks these things. He says, God, search me and know my heart. We talked week one about how our hearts are deceitful most of the time. And yet David says, I got a deceitful heart and I'm gonna give it to God. He comes back and he says, see the anxiety in me. And guess what, folks? As Pastor Tyson showed us a couple of weeks ago, we all have anxiety. Jesus himself had anxiety. This is something that happens in our lives. Don't run away from it, but do something with it. We have anxiety. We all learned last week that we have brought offense to some people. We've always brought offense to God and what that is called is sin. When we bring that offense and we, and David is saying, I got all these things. And it's making me ask the question, why, why do you find this prayer so risky to pray? Think about that. 
Why do you find these two verses so difficult to pray in your life? I'll tell you why it's difficult for me. Because as we were leading up to the series, I was already beginning to pray these things over us as a church, but over my own life. Over these last few weeks, even as Pastor Tyson has been communicating, I've been praying these weekly, and guess what has happened? Every single time I open my mouth and pray, guess what God has done? He's answered. So when I've asked him to search my heart, he showed me some things about some relationships in my life that needed some adjustment. When, he, when we talked about anxiety, guess what came to the forefront? My anxiety. I looked at things around me and I had to submit them. When it came to the offensive ways that are in me, I had to quickly realize that this is something that happens in my life. You want to know why I think this prayer is so risky? It's because I don't want God to know. I actually don't want to admit. I've got shame. I'd rather hide. I'd rather run away. And yet this is the essence of why David prays this prayer to God. He acknowledges that these are realities in our lives. And you and I are the same, I believe, that you and I all have these issues together. We know that our hearts are deceitful. We know that we have anxiety. We know that we've sinned and we've brought offense to someone or to God. But this is the exact spot where God wants us to be. He's like, I already know that about you, Sean Chapman, and I still want you to bring that to me. So let me ask us, Do you recognize as David was beginning to recognize the wickedness in your life? Do you recognize the evil ways that want to kind of sprout up in your heart, in your mind and in your actions? But here's the better question. Do you hate it? Do you hate the things in our lives that are opposed to the things that God wants for us? I'm convinced it's why David suddenly prays after all of those things. He acknowledges them. He says, that's it. I'm guilty. That's why he comes back to these words and he says, Jesus, lead me. I want to do things my own way. I want control. I want to do me. I want to take care of myself. And isn't that the essence of why we find this prayer so risky is we love control. We want to be the one in charge. Now, uh, a couple of years ago, Carrie Underwood, uh, and you got to know this about Carrie Underwood. She's a country singer, and country is Pastor Tyson's favorite genre of music. In fact, what I'd like for you to do is I'd love for you to email him right now, Tyson at callwoodchurch.com, and I want you to tell him your favorite country song and to why he even likes that. Go ahead, right now as you're hearing that, uh, it's great, but Carrie Underwood wrote this beautiful song, and and I wanted to sing it for us today, but our preach team said, don't do it. Like, this is not a wise idea. I'm going to ignore them. Jesus, take the wheel. Okay, I'll stop. Jesus, take the wheel was the song. Now, I love this song because when I think about David praying, lead me, and now Carrie Underwood singing, Jesus, take the wheel, I got to tell you, sometimes I put Jesus in the passenger seat. Actually, most of the time, I feel like I may do that. Or maybe I put him in the back seat and sometimes I throw him in the trunk. But the essence of this song talks about Jesus take the wheel, take it from my hands because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go, so give me one more chance and save me from this road that I'm on. Jesus take the wheel. And isn't this exactly what Carrie and David are doing together? 
They are saying that this is an issue of control in our lives. To be led by God means that you got to relinquish the steering wheel of your life. And you got to give it to him. Now, Carrie's song is beautiful, but I actually think that David wrote this song a few centuries, thousands of years earlier, and he wrote his own song that many of us know today. And this song comes from Psalm chapter 23, where it reads this, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my driver. He sits in the passenger seat and he steers my vehicle. The Lord is my shepherd. And listen to this, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Verse three says this. He guides me. He leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Says your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you go before me to prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now somebody say amen, because that is good news for us today. David sings his own song before Carrie Underwood came along. And I love these words because he communicates, guide me, lead me, be beside me, protect me, comfort me, pursue me. Jesus, take the wheel. And this is where I said earlier, pin the tail on the sheep. Because God is supposed to be the shepherd and you and I are to be the sheep. We are to follow the lead of the shepherd. It's not the other way around, folks. I remember a couple of years ago when we were in Jerusalem and Israel, we went over to Jordan. I remember sitting in our tour bus and on this dirty, dusty road in the land of Jordan, all of a sudden emerged out of the fields a shepherd and the sheep and they started to take over the road. Our bus had to stop and wait of what the shepherd and the sheep were doing. Why? Because the shepherd was leading them a certain direction and had to be permitted pin the tail on the sheep. I really think this sometimes about our lives as I put this over my own eyes right now is the reality is, is when we pray this prayer, Jesus lead me. When we ask him to do something with our lives, there are a lot of times, folks, where it feels like it's blind. And if I am not listening to his voice, if I am not listening to his orientation and his direction over my life, even when I'm blind, even when I can't see, I tend to take the steering wheel myself. But when I pay attention and I listen, because sometimes following Jesus is a lot like this. I have clarity. I know where I'm about to go. But a lot of times, it feels blind. And we have to know his voice. We have to know what he is doing with us. An author has said this, that when we pray this prayer, we ask that we may know what his duty and that we may be inclined to do it. You see, over the last few weeks, Jesus has been talking about my own heart. Search me. Oh, okay, Sean, if you want me to search you, I'll show you what I need to change. God, my anxiety. God, my offensive ways. And he's shown me. But what this quote says to us today is now it comes down to duty. It comes down to 
action step. If we are going to have God reveal these things in our lives and in our hearts, we now need to surrender this to him. Craig Rochelle, author, pastor, says this prayer is a soul-cleansing, heart-mending, eternity-altering prayer. It is now where the rubber meets the road, where it's going to get real, it's going to get genuine, and this is where we need to be spirit-led in our lives, asking the Spirit of God to take our steps towards the shepherd. And it is here where we begin to ask ourselves questions like this. What today now needs to be surrendered to God? Let me ask you this. What do you fear losing in your life? And have you and how can you obey what God has been speaking to your life in this exact moment? This is the duty of the follower of Jesus Christ. You know, as we uh, did this a couple of weeks ago, And Pastor Tyson used a very powerful quote, and he said this, it is okay to not be okay. And I'm here to tell you that that is absolute truth. And I want to add one more piece to that statement now. It is okay to not be okay, but it is not okay to just remain there. This is the action steps now that God wants in our lives. He wants us to take movement towards his voice. Blind or not, he wants us to hear what he is saying and say, now I want you to begin to act this out. And one thing we have to acknowledge in this prayer, David says, I want you to lead me, but he says along the path of everlasting life. Now I love this because David actually declares to you and I his destination. And this is exactly why we pray the prayer, lead me, so that we can experience everlasting life. But guess what, folks? It's not just when you're dead. It actually means today that God wants you and I to experience everlasting life right now. And that when we submit ourselves, when we surrender, when we begin to obey and we begin to say, God, take the wheel of my life, it is there where we begin to experience life. And then when you die, guess what? You're going to experience that everlasting life for eternity as well. I love what he does there. Our last number of weeks have been our, our journey of holiness. He, God is he is, he's shaping us. You know, I, I'm reminded of this. Like, God is not actually that interested in your comfort, your wealth, or your happiness. He's looking for conformity in our lives to look like him. He is about holiness. And I'm not saying today that your comfort, your wealth, or your happiness are irrelevant. Those are important pieces. But what God is looking for is life change so that you become the follower of Christ that this world needs to see. And you know how he does that with us? He actually takes us to Matthew chapter seven, verses 13 and 14, and it says this, on the wide and the narrow gate. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult. And guess what? Only a few of us will find it. To pray this prayer, lead me. It means that you have to make a choice to say goodbye to some of the patterns that have been revealed over the last three weeks of this series. And it says, okay, God, I recognize those things, but now I'm gonna follow the voice of the shepherd. I'm gonna come back to you and I'm gonna set my face towards you and follow the things that you have for me. I think unfortunately for a lot of us today, some of us feel trapped. We feel locked down. 
we feel that there are no more moves to make, like I've already done my stuff and so I'm just done with and I can't do this. And we get this moment in our lives where we think there's, I just, I'm not enough anymore. And I got to tell you, like in, in a little bit of a, of an illustration for our lives, um, that the, there are two men. There are two men who are standing in an art gallery and they're observing this picture on the wall. The picture just happens to be a man playing chess with the devil. And the, this picture has the devil grinning from ear to ear. In fact, the caption on the painting is called Checkmate, which indicates that the game is now over. The devil knows that he has won the man absolutely knows that he has failed, and it comes down to this idea of he has no more moves, period. So the friend of the guy is like, he's tired of looking at the painting. He's like, I'm going to go on. I'm going to look at something else. And so he sends his friend off. But this one guy, he stands there and he starts looking at this painting. He just so happens to be an international chess champion as well. And he's sitting there and he's rehearsing the moves and he's trying to figure out the pattern as to why the devil would have won. And as, he sit, as he's standing there and he's observing, he kind of steps back in and he's flabbergasted. And he realizes that there's actually one more move left to be made. He realizes that it isn't a checkmate. There's something else that can happen here. And he runs over to find his friend. He's like, you got to come back and see this. We got to actually go. We have to report this to the art gallery. We got to get in touch with the painter. We have to let them know that actually there, this is false. There is something else that is happening in this picture. And it is not over. He says this, that it is not checkmate. He says the king has one more move. And isn't this the story of the Bible? Isn't this the story of our lives? And the game that we have played for centuries. Israel walked up to a Red Sea. They watched their enemy behind them pursuing them. And they thought that it was over. But guess what, folks? The king had one more move, did he not? We look at Daniel who was thrown into the den of lions about to be eight and he was about to be supper, breakfast, lunch, or whatever it was. And guess what happened? The next morning when they opened up that cave to see, the king had one more move. Think about our own story guy, David. David went to a field to fight a nine-foot giant whose name was Goliath. He was cursing down God. He was cursing Israel. David with his five little rocks, little shepherd boy that he was, pinned the tail on the sheep. What does he do? He goes and he says, in the name of God. And guess what, folks? The king had one more move. King Jesus himself, he was tortured. He was beaten and bruised for you and I. He laid in a tomb in the ground for three days. But guess what? The king had one more move. Have you ever felt like life has got you beat? That's, guess what? The king has got one more move for you too. You ever feel beaten down in a corner that you can't move, that you can't pray a prayer? God, lead me because I've done so much stuff and I'm, I, I'm, I'm totally unhelpable. Let me communicate to you today too. The king has one more move. It's never checkmate when it comes to God because he's the victor here. And when David prays this prayer, God, lead me. He takes his hands off the wheel. He says, Jesus, take the wheel. Except he says, the Lord is my shepherd and he's going to guide me. He's going to lead me. Folks, I'm here to tell us today 
and I'm guilty of this as the best of them. Give up control. Where your heart has deceived you, where your anxiety has reigned, where offensive ways and sin have been present, the king has one more move. And he's not done with you yet. And David in his weirdness in Psalm 139 from the beauty of God to hating his enemies lets you and I today hate the sin, hate the things and the evil and the injustices in our world. Let's always hate those things, but folks, never hate a person. But would we today in the spirit of what David has done have an awe of the holiness of God and may we want to be led on that narrow road surrendering our pathway to the wide road that many of us travel because the king has one more move and he's not done with you and with me and I don't know about you but that's pretty hopeful today so let me pray for you Father I thank you that you always have one more move over these last few weeks we have recognized some deep things in our hearts but you don't want us to stay there. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to recognize and call out those things that have happened. But the beauty of who you are is that you, you take the graves to gardens, as we sang already today. Bones into armies, seas to highways. You bring the change. You allow us to say, lead me. And when we allow you to lead, you take us down those right paths doesn't mean that it won't be hard, but it means that we'll have everlasting life. And that's my prayer for us as a church family today, that we would have everlasting life. And I pray that you'll give us the guts now today to pray, lead me, to take my hands off the wheel and allow you to drive. And you know where that needs to take place. And I pray that there would be aspects of surrender obedience and followership to Jesus Christ. So help us in this journey, I pray. And perhaps you are with us today and you have never allowed the shepherd to lead you. You've never submitted your life to Jesus, the great shepherd. Today it would be a privilege to lead you to him. And one of the ways that you could do that is you simply acknowledge right where you are today. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And that grace is Jesus. He wants to lead your life. It means you're going to have to surrender some things and say, I'm going to follow you in obedience. And if that's you, you just cry out to him right now, Jesus, I need you. And you'll notice that you can click on a link in the live chat room right now. Or if you're not with us live, you could text the word LIFE to 250-478-7113. And we would love to put you on that journey because we do want Jesus to lead you. We want Jesus to have the wheel of your life so that you could find the everlasting life that is promised in the scripture. Church family, we hope that you will have an incredible week. I pray that today you will pray this last risky prayer of God lead me and let him lead you and watch the everlasting life that follows. Church, we love you. Have an excellent week and we'll see you next week as we celebrate our mums um, as, as we get to Mother's Day. So everyone have a great week and we will see you soon. Bye.
Good. Thanks.